Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In today's show, I'm chatting with Hoodoo Ski Area General Manager Matthew McFarland about the roller coaster of this year up in the Oregon mountains. We also dive into how they keep prices affordable for families and how they've used new grooming techniques to keep ski runs open with far less snow than in past years. Before we get rolling, I want to highlight the sponsors of this podcast that make it possible for us to hire and pay our outdoor journalism interns every spring, summer, and fall. Our first sponsor is the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast, which reminds you that winter safety is paramount, especially during the king tides and heavy rains that characterize this season. Finally, we're brought to you by the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department that reminds visitors to leave no trace and buy local firewood when camping at state parks to limit the spread of invasive insects. Okay, up next, we're diving into the reality of running a small ski area in Oregon's Cascade Mountains. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, well, welcome to today's episode, where in just a moment, you'll hear a conversation that I had with Hoodoo Ski Area General Manager. Matthew McFarland. Now, full disclosure, Hoodoo is my backyard ski area and the place I visit most frequently with my two daughters. It's just up Highway 20 on San Am Pass between Salem and Sisters. Now, it was a tough start at Hoodoo this year because like a lot of other small ski areas, a lack of snow kept it closed through December and into January for the first time. That was tough not only on the ski area, but also on Oregon families that depend on resorts like Hoodoo to offer more affordable skiing. Hoodoo and Willamette Pass are the only ski areas in Western Oregon that offer free lift tickets for kids all the way up to 10 and 12 years old, and adult lift tickets typically range from $30 to $70. In this conversation, we hit on a number of topics, including this year's late opening, the economics of ski areas, and how to groom runs with less and less snow. But we started on that affordability topic, with McFarland talking about a conversation he overheard while getting fast food earlier this winter when there wasn't enough snow to open at Hoodoo, but the more expensive resorts had opened. And the kid, you know, the, the young man, I mean, he was probably in the 14, 15, you know, age range, was begging to go ski. He's like, you know, I need to ski. I think he actually wanted to snowboard, you know, mm-hmm. whatever he wanted to ride. Just begging his mom, got to go, got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And she's like, just, you know, listen, I'm not going to pay that rate. Yeah. For the price that it will cost you to go there one day and stand in line for hours, yeah. you can go to Hoodoo three times. Yeah. I would much rather send you up there. You know, this is, 
You know, just simple shit. Just wait. It'll snow. Just be patient. I get it. Your friends are going. You know, you know some people are going. You know, I'm curious. How often do you hear that? Because I hear it all the time. Like, like within like the little groups and stuff like that. Like, especially this year, it was it like like it was like a choice. Like it was a really hard choice. Yeah. Between like paying. 300 400 bucks <laughs> for a family and that like even kids are 50 oh, yeah. 60 bucks and in waiting for this to open like that, do you that's hear that a lot price. <laughs> yeah i mean so what i what i've seen is you know people trying to go over christmas because the calendar said it's christmas so they want to ski yeah. and as they're saying well you know 130 bucks for a kid 150 bucks for adults and those are the reduced rates because you know the snow's not good there either mm-hmm. but yeah we hear it over and over and over again i mean it's a a very constant thing we hear played out. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, make it accessible to families. Yeah. Skiing is one of those amazing things where if it's taught right, you teach somebody to ski. Not the come skiing with me, I'm your bestest friend, take you to the top of the hill, push you down, good luck, <laughs> see at the bottom, right? Yeah. You hear that story a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember the statistics anymore, but it's something like 60% of people who try skiing go one time and never again, and only 40% go a second time. Mm-hmm. But something like 90% of people who ski three times yeah. pick it up for life. Yeah. And you join a new community, mm-hmm. right? You, it's a, a new thing. It's something you do by yourself. So it's all on you, what you can do, what you can accomplish on how you can learn the mountain and to, to get down that you also do with your friends. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a team sport, but it's something that there's this huge community. You ride the chair with your friends. You talk. You chat. You know, we could set up a... Uh, like a, a, a dating service, right? <laughs> Where it's, it's the, hey, you got a six-minute date. You two ride the lift together and, and, and go. But it's, it's also six minutes that you can talk to your children, that yep. kids can talk to each other, that siblings can get to know each other. Riding the lift, where should we ski? There's not a lot of talking, skiing down. Go this way, go that way. You know, let's go, you know, nice, you know, jump, good turn, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. That is all you. But that community, you know, afterwards, every run, hanging out in the lodge, it really can grow families close together and bring friendships and change your life for forever. You learn to do this when you're three or four years old. You can still be doing this when you're 93 or 94 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably skiing the same terrain, you know, <laughs> at those extremes. Yeah. And, you know, somewhere in the middle, you want to jump off a cliff, it seems like, you know. But doing this is just such an, an amazing thing people can do. Mm-hmm. But if you can't afford it, if the barrier to entry is it's going to cost me $1,000 to get a rental ski and a, then a day ticket... Who even wants to do that? Who can afford to go more than that first time that you went? Yeah. You know. So it's, I mean, do you see? Does Hudu see its mission as like that? That place where you can come and you can afford it? Like, is that a mission statement that's part of Hudu? Or like, tell me how that fits into what you do. You know, our mission is to bring people together and have a good time doing it. We're happy to be here. You should be happy to be here. Mm-hmm. We're a feeder area. You know, because what we do is we feed the ski community lots of people. Mm-hmm. And you'll see in a typical skier, and clearly this is just, you know, typically. So take a group of 100 and, you know, more than half do this. You teach them to ski. They come here. They learn to ski at Hoodoo. And after they feel like, lots of people feel like they've outgrown it. Maybe somewhere else is cooler. My friend wants this or that. Skiing's great fun. Let's go ski in Idaho, mm-hmm. Utah, Colorado. Mm-hmm. We can go to Chamonix. It's amazing how cheap you can fly to France and go skiing, right? There's these things you can go everywhere. Mm-hmm. We teach people to ski and we offer an affordable product so that we can feed expensive areas. So that you can go experience big mountains at Bachelor, up on Mount Hood. Mm-hmm. You want to go down to Squaw Valley and, you know, ride gondolas. I mean, there's so many cool things you can do. But you talk to those people. You go to Squaw Valley. You go to Bachelor. 
and ski around with people and talk to them and quiz them about where their favorite place is. Maybe it's Soldier Hollow, Idaho, because that's where they learned, and that's you know, their favorite thing. Maybe it's Pomerel, tiny little tube-lift area. You know, maybe it's the rope toe back in Pennsylvania because that's where they went with grandpa and they enjoyed their hot chocolate where they learned those first things and they can't wait to get back there and take their kids, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's where they're skiing today. It doesn't mean it's where they ski always, but there's always that soft spot for them because those, these are the places that feed the whole community. Yeah. You know, you can't just build another ski area somewhere that snap of fingers. It's not like putting in another, I mean, movie theater is kind of tough too, but you can just keep replicating them. You know, every time there's another subdivision, you get another movie theater mm-hmm. and another subway and another 7 You know I mean? You just keep you know, stamping them out. Ski areas where there's just, you know, a few of us and we really need to work together. So what we really do, train people, send them on to bigger areas. Now, eventually, they're going to want to bring their family skiing, and it's pretty dang expensive, you know. <laughs> you know, thousands of dollars for season passes, hundreds of dollars a day. They come back. And so you'll see lots of families here learning. You know, maybe young adults are going off doing their own thing, and then once they're starting to have kids of their own, families are back. Economically, do you feel pressure to increase? Like, is it a fight to keep... <clears throat> Price is low because even this year, like it's actually cheaper. Like my daughter was going to age into uh, having to pay like youth prices this year, uh-huh. and then you bumped it up to ten, so she gets yeah. two more free years. But do you feel is there a do you feel a pressure to increase that or, or not? Um, you mean increase the age for kids to ski free? Or, um, you mean increase and, the and increase tickets? Yeah, the ticket yeah. price, like I mean, all the above. So it's clearly it's economics, right? I mean, it's always pressure to. Cover your costs, which is something we don't do very well. You know, we're we're lucky in the fact that uh, um, Hoodoo operates as a, you know, we're we're owned by another giant conglomerate. So if we have a bad year like this year mm-hmm. and no income for a month, that that can be subsidized elsewhere, and it's easy for us to get loans. Lots of places have to go get funding from the bank, and then they're paying, mm-hmm. you know, fifteen twenty five percent on that money, you know, yeah. for a long time because it's a little more risky, mm-hmm. and they don't know if they're going to have December next year. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have December, we do really well at covering all our costs. Yeah. When something like that happens, we don't. Um, so we have to look at, well, diesel fuel prices go way up. Well, what pays for that? Clearly a lift ticket. Yeah. And it costs us the same to groom the hill for Wednesday when we sell 67 tickets yeah. as it does for Saturday when we sell 2,300 tickets, right? Mm-hmm. And so that obviously has to be spread. And you figure out, well, how do you do it? It's shocking that Wednesday or Thursday, you know, a day with hardly any people, you can ski for cheaper than you can on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, it really is because we have to find ways to cover the costs that are increasing. So there's always this pressure just economically to bump it up. But you really um, haven't, you haven't done it, though. Well, but I started here 20 years ago, 20 three yard years ago yeah. and we were selling uh, lift tickets for $26. Sure. And now we're at 69. So the, the price does go up. However, I also did want to bump up the kids mm-hmm. ski free age. When I got here, kids skied free at five and yeah. I wanted, I set the goals. I wanted to make that number 12, right? Yeah. I want 12 and under to ski free. Man, it makes it so much easier to bring a family here and teach yeah. kids and the kids have fun. And when the kids are begging, Hey mom, let's go skiing this weekend. Dad, let's go ski this weekend. Hey, they're free. You take them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, used to take my kids skiing at a couple of different places. Like we would go on a ski vacation. There's three resorts. This one offers kids yeah. 10 and under free. Man, I'm going there. Yeah. I'm going to go to all of them. But if I go to one twice, I'm going to the you know, <laughs> 10 and under free one twice, right? Yeah. Because the, you know, say 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, it, it all adds up. But so we try to do that to, to keep the prices in line with what expenses are so that we can cover it. Mm-hmm. It becomes tough in a year like this when there's lots of news. Like, you know, when the press is saying there's no snow, there's no snow, there's no snow. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a good snow day like you do today, mm-hmm. you're still only running at half of what our normal 
you know, Friday, like Friday this year, you know, last year, this same day last year, we brought in double the number of people. Yeah. Still no lines on the lifts, Mm -hmm. still plenty of places to sit. You know, there's no problem as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. But there was just that perception that the snow is good. Yeah. So, yeah, when we're always finding, well, how do you raise the price? Well, so if we raise the price next year to offset one, increase costs, Mm -hmm. but, um, you do that, for, but also we got to raise prices for lack of usage. Yeah. More people use it, the price can come down significantly. Okay. Fewer people use it, the price have to go up. Well, then you know. So I always say we only need to sell one ticket for ten million dollars, and we're done. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we'll sell it to you, and you can bring as many people as you want. And in fact, pick the number of days this year you would like us to operate, or bring whoever you want to. Right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, tell me about this year because this. I mean, there have been you know late starts. I'm, you know, the 2015-16 time period. Um, but where did this year rank? Like, what, what was this year like? So this year was the latest start we've ever had. Um, we have had starts, you know, January 1, December 31st, December 27th. You know, we've had some of these late days that we've started. We like to start or the um, end of November. Yep. Like start the day after Thanksgiving is, you know, perfect for us. Anyway, so that's what we like to do. And it happens about twice a decade we get that mm-hmm. and about once a decade it seems like it's um you oh, know yes. uh, december 31st this is the first time we have opened after january 1st in the 23 years i've been here 24 whatever it started in 2000 so yeah <laughs> whatever this is yeah and um, this is the first time we've opened that late mm-hmm. we did have a year where we opened in december we're open for a period and then closed you know and then opened again mid-january and but what, we did is, have what, is, what does that mean for you guys so, economically well, you know, I mean, economically, it's terrible. We, we bring in roughly um, uh, a quarter of our yearly income over that two-week period yeah. of uh, Christmas. I mean, that's what we talk about, you know, when you can have 3,000 people a day show up buying tickets, that subsidizes the days where only 60, 70 people show up buying tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that helps cover all of the days when you're not, um, you know, People are at work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, maybe the weather's bad or it's shockingly when the weather's really, really good, you mm-hmm. know, you seem to not get as many people. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty devastating as far as that's concerned. But like I said, luckily we have, uh, you know, private financing to cover that on the back end. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this could take three years to pay off yeah. that debt, you know, quite easily. Yeah. But that's assuming we're going to have three good years, yeah. you know, coming up. Well, there had been a pretty – it had been a pretty good stretch, right? Like it was three pretty good years overall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so – the when COVID occurred, then everybody had to stay home and could no longer do anything. The yeah. one thing they could do was go skiing, yeah. and so you saw every ski area across the nation just have a huge increase in business. And so Wednesdays started to pay for themselves. You know, when midweek is covering its costs, you're not looking to subsidize from the weekends so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, like you know, everybody once you start bringing in more money, then they find ways to spend that money doing you know maintenance you should have done, you know, carpeting. You know, fix walls and things in the yeah. in lodges, fix boilers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, a boiler went out for another $100,000. Hey, we can fix it. You know, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. No big deal. Yeah. And uh, so you, you catch up a lot of stuff like that. You know, you buy another snowcat for $400,000. Yeah, well, when the money's gone, it's, it's nice to bring it in. So, I mean, it's great because we put ourselves in a really good position, mm-hmm. you know, coming into this year as far as equipment and, you know, maintenance and, and things like that. Okay. Um, but, you know, things that you would normally maybe skip or pass on, you know, big chunks of parking lot getting fixed versus, you know, just tiny little patches, things like that. Um, so, yeah, we've had a great three years. And this year, if we'd had snow, it would have been, you know, another good year. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really expect to have 
you know, like a 50% drop off in business, you know, coming into this year. But we expect probably a 10% reduction. Just, you know, every activity is now available. Yeah. Basketball is back open. You know, all the school sports back open last year. Um, you know, you could see definitely a reduction, you know, in ski business and, and numbers across the nation. And we figured that was going to be, a, you know, a little bit of a correction again. And, you know, midweek is where we expected to see it. But lack of a December for most ski areas in Oregon and Washington and Idaho and, you know, Montana. It's, when that's the news that's being reported everywhere, everybody's like, oh, there's no snow. It's not worth going. Yeah. You know, it's just like, man, you know, forget it. Well, it takes a hit on our pocketbook, but it also, six weeks of not being open, takes a hit on employees. Yeah. You know, all the employees, they have 150 to 180 employees, you know, in a given year. And that's six weeks that those people were not working. You know, it's very tough for them. But, you know, we can't just pay them to, you know, not show up or show up and drink lemonade waiting for snow, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's pretty tough. So the, there are a lot of people that it was, you know, quite devastating for. And it's like, how do you pay rent now? And it's a bad thing to be is out of a job in December, you know, mm-hmm. Christmas presents. And, you know, it makes it pretty tough that way. All right. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, McFarland gets into how the ski area manages to stay open with far less snow than the area got historically. So that's when we return. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. The Tillamook Coast welcomes you for local coastal adventures. And while we invite you to explore the natural beauty of Oregon's coast during the winter season, we also advise you to be aware of winter weather and plan for it. You may picture yourself hiking through lush forests, beachcombing along rocky shores, or discovering tide pools teeming with life. Yes, the Tillamook Coast offers a unique playground for outdoor enthusiasts and nature lovers alike. But nature's power is undeniable, especially during king tides and heavy rains. Stay safe by checking tide schedules and monitoring coastal flood warnings. Always keep an eye on weather forecasts and road conditions. Remember to pack essentials like water, flashlights, and warm clothing. If you plan to hike, avoid areas prone to landslides during or after heavy rainfall. Explore our region's winter wonders, but do so with safety in mind and a deep respect for the forces of nature. To learn more about winter weather on the Tillamook Coast, visit TillamookCoast.com and plan your unforgettable winter journey. Our third and final sponsor is the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department that invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination 
to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. Well, let me ask you about this. So you, the, right now the snowpack is at about 33 inches or something. I yeah. mean, that's, that's low, and you've been joking about it, you know, yeah. about your, your mighty snowpack <laughs> hanging on and, you know, fighting back against the, the rain and the, the warmth yeah, and the, stuff the, like that. The, the hot rain coming to build, yes. But, you know, I've been up there all day. I mean, we haven't missed anything. All the runs that we typically do are, are open. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it, a few years ago, you talked about doing more with less like mm-hmm. you, that you had looked at maybe a ski areas in Australia or something yeah. and looked at how you make a go of it even when the snowpack isn't as big as it might be in other years. So can you talk a little bit about that, like sure. how, how you do that? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, 50 years ago or when this place started back in 1938, you mm-hmm. know, so 80 years ago, all they did was put in a lift and wait for the snow to come and bury all the rocks and it didn't matter if they were knee high or chest high. They just bury them, ski around them or, you know, or whatever. Uh, now customers demand grooming. Yeah. You've got to drive a tractor on everything and you've got to till the snow and it's got to have perfect corduroy out the back or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just unskiable and, you know, heaven forbid, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's just a vastly different mindset. But also, back then, 200 people visiting the ski area in a day was huge, mm-hmm. you know, whereas now we need 1,000 a day or we're not covering costs, right? Mm-hmm. Just because expectations and, you know, what it is that we provide is vastly different. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is a lot of summer work. Okay. You've got to get out there and, you know, mow brush. Uh, 24 years ago, 23 years ago, whatever, 2000 when I got here, there's brush in the existing runs that was taller than me standing there with my hands stretched up. You mm-hmm. know, so that eight feet tall, you know, <laughs> seven yeah. and a half feet tall. Um, the brush was taller than that. So you got to cut that down and mow it. Well, that means that the place was having a hard time opening until they got you know, five, six, seven feet of snow, enough oh. to smash and compact and push all that down, right? Yeah. So you mow the brush where all the ski corridors are, where all the runs are. Um, also removing rock. So there's a lot of, you know, tractor work that you can do. This mountain's made of sand, so it's got to be really delicate. You can't just go driving a D9 around or, you know, a big old dozer or anything. Things have to literally be picked and winched, you know, and, you know, crane things out of there. Um, some places you use dynamite or things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like you just think about building um, more of a golf course kind of a contour. Nice, rolling, smooth hills so that when you have, you know, two feet of snow mm-hmm. compacted by a 20,000-pound snow cat, you know, now your two feet of snow becomes four to five inches. Mm-hmm. So you were skiing around today and, you know, it's all covered and it's good and it's nice. Um, you notice there are no terrain park features out there. We don't have our rails. We don't have any jumps. We don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to put those in yesterday. But our whole terrain park area, which is couple of these main corridors over here in blue and over next to the race course. Um, we're out there with shovels and the snow is literally three to four inches deep over the dirt. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's it. That's, that's all we got. When they run the tillers over there, they're trying to only till an inch deep. Um, they have to only drive the snowcat on that area when it's really cold because if it's too warm, then, you know, the, the grousers, the, the tracks on the snowcats will actually sink about four inches. And if you sink four inches into dirt and you bring dirt into it, now the brown in the snow, yeah. heated by the sun and melted out. So you really have to know what's the snowpack and where it is and where and when can you drive on it. And, you wow. know, some places when it's really, really cold, you can't go and 
till it with your snowcat because mm-hmm. when you do, it's so cold that it's not going to stick together and the wind scours that area. So if you drive by, it blows off four inches of snow. And then you drive by again and another four inches of snow gone, gone, gone. So like knowing the different parts of the hill, you know, having expert groomers, guys who've been driving this hill for forever, yeah. understand where the snow is. So there's, there's, know, there's, do it. there's parts out there where, I mean, we're talking like it's... it's I'm, I'm telling you, it's literally three inches deep where we wanted to put the beginner rails. Yeah. And it's like, we can't even put it in three inches. Yeah. I figured if we were packing out to eight or ten, I was going to put them in there. You know, because yeah. we're only talking, mm-hmm. you know, a 12-inch lip onto the rail. And it's like, we can't scavenge this much snow to try to make this but then you know everybody rides the rail and they land in one spot and you bang 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 hammering the snow in that one place what does it take 20 kids sliding that rail and you're hammered a hole down to the dirt and as you start spreading dirt into the snow it just you know it spreads it's dark sun comes out boom gone you lose it instantly but that's so, that, i mean that's cool though like it almost sounds like a science between like cutting down brush like removing the the rocks and you can do more with less, right? Like uh-huh, you can, you can exactly. be open longer with less snow. Right. I mean, so when I started in the ski industry, it was 1991. And we would never even consider opening with less than 80 inches of snow. If there wasn't 80 inches, 90 inches on the snow stake, it's like you don't even talk about opening. That's ridiculous. How are you even going to do it? And things have had to change drastically since then mm-hmm. because of, you know, lack of snow. I mean, it really is, is that. No. Some years, sure, back in 97 here, before I was here, they... Uh, at one time had 23 feet of snow standing on the ground. There's photographs of the Manzanita lift where the lift towers themselves, the top of the tower is two feet below the snow grade. It's like, you know, totally all fenced off and everything. You know, you have to ski around it. But there's just so much snow, there's nothing you can do with it. Mm -hmm. And that used to happen here, going back in records, that used to be, you know, like a once a decade kind of a thing where there's 20, 25 feet of snow on the ground. The original lifts here, you had to hike up a ramp to get to them because they didn't have snowcats to move snow. But, you know, when there's 20 feet of snow on the ground, you, you can't have the lift buried and, you know, be sliding down into a pit. Mm-hmm. So it was just a different kind of construction. Well, now we're dealing with having that, you know, foot or two feet of packed snow on the runs at all times yeah. and having to be able to be open and deal with that. I mean, know, so all day long, people ski and push snow down the hill. Mm-hmm. So all night long, snowcats, while they do leave you a nice corduroy surface that you think is for you, the reality is the reason the snowcat is there is because it's pushing the snow from the bottom of the hill back up to where it was skied off that's the the real function of the snowcat the benefit is the corduroy that's there and the fact that everybody thinks yeah they did it for me yeah we did it for you so you could ski it but it was really pushing the snow back so the snow i skied off today put back up so i can ski it off tomorrow yeah i mean long term um just circling for a landing here i mean what's the future of, of hoodoo like is it what you guys are doing now like do you feel good about this business model about targeting families about having the events like the the new year's events and and that's your focus and doing more with less with the uh with the snow like that combination of things is that kind of hoodoo for the next x amount of years yeah so, i mean that's hoodoo for the next decade for sure i mean we'll, yeah. we'll see only mother nature can tell what's going to happen and she's not you know sending us any future reports but mm-hmm. Um, we have to do more with less as far as the snow is concerned. Some years, like last year and the year before, banner yep. years of snow. Tons yep. of snow, lots of people come out. Uh, but, you know, when we don't have snow, it's not due to lack of precipitation. Yeah. Snow guns won't help. Yeah. So everybody's like, oh, put in a snowmaking system. It's like, okay, can't make snow at 45 degrees. Yeah. If I could, all that rain would be snow, yeah. right? So <clears throat> that's not, that is not the answer for where we are. Mm-hmm. It really is doing more with less. 
And then the, the activities, you know, the families are the future. Mm-hmm. That's the future of skiing is the kids and the people that we're bringing up here. That mm-hmm. is the future. So that is our absolutely our target audience. We want you here. Come and have a good time with the family. That's where it is. You know, they say the happiest people in the world are people with a friend and who learn something new every day. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how old you are. Man, when you're skiing down the hill, you can learn something new every day. It doesn't matter what age you are. And you come with a friend and it's, you know, there's always friendly faces. Mm-hmm. And having New Year's Eve parties and Viking fests and, you know, winter carnivals and, you know, every little uh, fun activity and game and thing that we do. You know, races today, Nordic races tomorrow. All of those things are just ways to bring more community together. Mm-hmm. You show up in a ski area on a day just because you want to go skiing and have fun and you find out, wait a minute, there's axe throwing and a turkey leg eating contest today. <laughs> That's just something else fun and awesome and exciting yeah. that you can you know, talk to your friends about and say, man, should have been there last weekend because it was pie eating contest, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, that's, you know, and that's part of the grassroots um, you know, connection too is just uh, you know, getting people hyped up about something new and fun and exciting that they did here. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened? There's lots of places you can go ski down a hill. You can go hike and slide down a hill. True. And I've had fun at lots of them. But sometimes you get, uh, you know, tired in the afternoon after, you know, skiing for a few hours and look for some kind of a diversion. And we have lots of parties, lots of live music, you know, lots of things to keep you entertained, um, you know, while you're taking a break. Cool. And that's what we're shooting for. And that's what you'll see us doing for the next decade. All right. Well, I've been talking to Matthew McFarland, the general manager of Hoodoo Ski Area. Thanks so much for taking the time, Matthew. Sure. Anytime. Thank you. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.